Hello, my name is Isaac Keith Martinez, and welcome to Isaac's Haunted Beard. Okay, before we start this episode, I have a request. Please, get out of my Van Halen t-shirt before you jinx the band and they break up. (laughs) Today we'll be talking about The Wedding Singer. (laughs) Now, this is Adam Sandler's 1998 tribute to the 80s, starring himself and Drew Barrymore. This is a very famous, popular movie. I'm, I'm fairly certain you've all seen it. But I watched it the other night and had a good time, and I thought it'd be kind of fun to talk about it with you here today. Because I love Adam Sandler, and I love the 80s. Um, As far as Adam Sandler is concerned, I've seen most of his films. And whenever a new Adam Sandler film is released, I am legit excited. I really connect with his comedy. I appreciate the flexible world his stories live in, where things are not only zany and slapstick-like, but also even surreal at times. There's There's gags and jokes that happen in his movies that seem exclusive to his world. Uh, You see things where you find yourself thinking, only in an Adam Sandler movie. Um, He often plays an outsider or someone who stands up for outsiders. And I personally have always felt like an outsider and will always stand with and stand up for outsiders. So I really appreciate that about, about... him and his characters, and I also appreciate that he brings a kindness to his roles that I often strive to personally be like. Now, although Drew Barrymore is his co-star in this film, I think the real co-star of The Wedding Singer is the 1980s itself. Um, I love the 80s. I love everything about it. The movies, the music, the TV, the fashion, the lingo, all of it. The 80s were fun. It felt like it was mostly meant for children and grown-up kids. Uh, I watch movies from the 80s fairly regularly, and I think I can hold my own in a pop culture 80s discussion. This particular film is, in my opinion, not meant to be historically accurate. It's a mishmash of a little bit of everything. And if you should happen to notice something in the film that didn't exist yet in 1985... Congratulations. No one cares. (laughs) In this movie, Adam Sandler plays Robbie, a wedding singer in the year 1985. And the year 1985 seems to be its own character, as the film comically reminds us just how 80s the 80s was. Now, Robbie's fiancée, Linda, stands him up at the altar, sending him into a deep depression. Robbie's new friend, Julia, played by Drew Barrymore, is engaged and talks Robbie into helping her plan her wedding. As he spends more and more time with Julia, he learns two things. One, that her fiancé, Glenn, is a cheater who doesn't plan to stop cheating even after they are married. And two, he has fallen in love with Julia. Julia is also falling in love with Robbie. All of this rom-comness is told through the zany filter of Adam Sandler's brand of comedy, and I love it. (laughs) It's a fun movie to revisit. Um, I have a question. Was this the first movie 
to take place in the 80s that wasn't actually made in the 80s because I can't remember any movies before this one. This one came out in 1998. Uh, I have a theory about movies and TV shows that take place in the 80s. The theory is this. Um, The theory is that stories that take place in the 80s will never go away. (laughs) Not much of a theory, but this is something that I think. In case you're wondering, I wonder how long this is going to last. How long before this trend of TV shows and movies that take place in the 80s goes away. I don't think it's going to go away. I think it's going to become a new genre of storytelling, like westerns or period pieces. It's too fascinating of a decade to just leave it alone forever. The aesthetic of the fashion and the pop culture of the 80s looks like it was all dreamt up by hyperactive children. People enjoy stories set in the 80s. Older people are nostalgic for the past. Younger people marvel at how ridiculous it all looked. Some people hate it because some people love being miserable. (laughs) I don't think it's ever going to go away. It's going to be a thing now for the rest of our lives. What's really going to be interesting, and this is something that we, none of us are going to actually going to be able to experience for ourselves. I'm just convinced this is something that's going to happen. What's really interesting are movies that are going to be made far into the future. Movies made entirely by people who weren't even born yet when the 80s existed. It will happen. Like if you made a Western now, it would be made entirely by people who were not alive at the time. Same thing. And they will, um, they'll be going by watching movies and TV shows from the 80s as their example of like how they learned, of how people dressed and, and what kind of things they said. And by then, they'll just kind of piece together this idea that... Um, any given year in that decade always kind of had parts of other years, you know, like things that only happened in 1987, for instance, might find its way into a movie that takes place in the year 1983. Cause they didn't know. It's kind of like us. Like, like if I, for instance, made a movie that took place in the old West, I wouldn't really know historically what was accurate or inaccurate, like what existed at the time, what didn't, uh, I'm sure I could do my homework. I could do my um, research, as I, I'd like to think that people who make those movies do. But you know, there's also lazy filmmakers. I think that people make movies where they're just like, ah, whatever. They just they all rode horses and they're all cowboys. And same with anything that takes place in the past, right? Like kings and queens and knights. And uh, <laughs> yeah, I think the '80s are going to become uh, just like that. You know, once upon a time, there was this time in history where everyone had big teased out hair and everyone had neon lights in their living room and everyone did cocaine. (laughs) Oh man, if you hate stories that take place in the 80s, just remember, some people also hate Westerns. Uh, There's not much I can really say about this movie in the sense of like takes, like here's my take on this movie. I mean, it's a comedy, it's pretty straightforward, there's nothing to really figure out. There's nothing symbolic. I just enjoy it. I will say one of my favorite jokes, since this is a comedy, I do want to point out one of my favorite jokes. I do think that it's sometimes jokes are funny because they just work, they land, um, and there's nothing to explain. And other times jokes are funny just because they sound funny. Like on paper, they're not funny, but just they feel funny. There's that scene where Adam Sandler's friend, who's a limousine driver, 
is doing this obstacle course and it's a test to see if they're going to be, he's going to be hired to do Julia's wedding. And <laughs> he's speeding through the course very frantically and he's hitting cones. And when he gets to the end of the course and he, he talks to uh, Sandler's character, Robbie, uh, Robbie says, uh, well, you hit two cones back there. Those could have been people. They could have been guests at our wedding. And uh, he goes, there were cones. <laughs> Just the way he says cones. <laughs> okay. Uh, let's talk a little bit about some of the people involved with uh, the wedding singer, shall we? This movie was directed by Frank Karachi. This is his second film. His first movie was called Murdered Innocence. And before looking into Frank Karachi's filmography, I've never seen nor even heard of Murdered Innocence. <laughs> I didn't even really bother to look into what it's about. That title, though, Murdered Innocence, it doesn't really seem like something that would be from the director of The Wedding Singer. Do you know what his third film was? The Waterboy. <laughs> Once again, very, very unmurdered innocent-like, right? Other Sandler films that Frank Caracci made included Click, Blended, and The Ridiculous Six. Now, this film stars in its leads Adam Sandler and, Bar and Drew Barrymore. And this was the first in what I'd like to refer to as the Sandler-Barrymore rom-com trilogy. Uh, in most of Sandler's films, he does have a love interest. And Drew Barrymore has played that love interest the most. She's done it three times. First being this one, The Wedding Singer. The second being Fifty First Dates, which came out in 2004. And the third being Blended, which came out in 2014. Now, if you've seen a bunch of Sandler's movies, you'll notice that a lot of actors return. Uh, you see them in a bunch of his films. You know, people like Rob Schneider and David Spade. You know, granted, some of these people are alumni from Saturday Night Live. And some people just seem to be friends of Adam Sandler. But something I've noticed that has been a pattern in his body of work are people from the famous Arquette movie star family. <laughs> and here's the Arquettes that have appeared in Sandler's films. And I bring this up because The Wedding Singer has an Arquette in it. Alexis Arquette, the late Alexis Arquette was in The Wedding Singer. He's in um, Adam Sandler's band, plays George, which is clearly fashioned after Boy George because uh, George sings that song every time it's uh, George's turn to take over for Robbie. When Robbie needs to take a break, he sings that Culture Club song, Do You Really Want to Hurt Me? So Alexis Arquette is not only in The Wedding Singer, but Alexis Arquette also reprises the role of George in the film Blended. Other Arquettes that have appeared in Adam Sandler's films are David Arquette, who was in Airheads. And on a side note, David Arquette used to be married to Courtney Cox, who was in The Longest Yard remake that Sandler did. And both Patricia Arquette and Louis Arquette were also in Little Nicky. The only Arquette who's never been in an Adam Sandler film was Rosanna Arquette. And the closest Rosanna's ever been in an Adam Sandler film was in 
Joe Dirt, which is actually a David Spade film, but Joe Dirt is a Happy Madison production. That's Adam's production company, where he produces movies that he makes and produces movies that some of his friends and, and fellow Saturday Night Live alumni have made, like like Rob Schneider and, and David Spade. Uh, Steve Buscemi, who was also in Airheads, has been a recurring actor in a bunch of Sandler's films. He has an uncredited role in The Wedding Singer. Why is that? Why do some actors do parts in films that are uncredited? I don't understand. Because John Lovitz also has a cameo in this film. And his cameos uncredited as well. He has one of my favorite scenes in the film where he's a wedding singer and he's auditioning for Julia's wedding and he's really sleazy and he says something to upset her and she says, thank you. You've just inspired me to hire a DJ. And he says, oh yeah, what can a DJ do this? And he like shimmies. It's really great. Something I've never noticed before is Brian Posehn is in this film when Adam's talking about, and I'm sorry, I just have a hard time calling Adam Sandler by any of his character names. He's he's Adam Sandler to me. When Robbie <laughs> is talking about people not finding love in that scene in the film where he's giving that speech, and he goes into the song Love Stinks, uh, he talks about he points out people at the reception that he thinks will never find love, and he points out table nine. He's like, I'm pretty sure none of the people at table nine are going to find love, and they just show a bunch of, you know, misfits and weirdos sitting at that table. One of them is Brian Posehn, who has an uncredited part. And on the subject of people who tend to show up in the Sandler verse. Uh, before I mention him, I, I, I want to like lead into that. There's a scene where Sandler's talking to his limousine driver friend and they discuss about, um, they discuss how Fonzie from happy days is an influence on this man's style on his, uh, his whole personality and, his approach to women and you know, he wants to be cool. He wants to be cool like Fonzie and Fonzie gets brought up a couple of times in the movie in conversation. And in the very next film, which was the water boy, which also came out in 1998, Henry Winkler who plays Fonzie in happy days appears for the first time in an Adam Sandler film and returns in future Sandler films. This movie I didn't really, I think I light, lightly knew this, but I didn't really know this until I looked into it. This movie has been a, a play. I mean, it's the movie first, but then they, they turned it into a Broadway play. And it had its run. And after it was done, it became a touring production. And then now, apparently it's popular to perform as a community theater or high school. High school play. And <laughs> I was thinking how... I mean, it's not the first movie that inspired a play. Although I think the phenomenon's kind of weird. <laughs> and, and also, 
I don't know, this may sound like an insult. I don't really mean it as an insult, but it feels a little lazy <laughs> to adapt a movie as a play. Like, you want to make a play, but you don't really have an idea of an original story, so you just adapt a movie because the story's already there. And people who go to see plays based on movies, uh, I have not done that. I'm not saying I'll never do it. I've never done it. Um, I'm not sure if I'll ever do it. That also seems a tad lazy. Like, you want to go see a play, but you don't really want to go see a play. So you want to see something that's already familiar to you. So if you go see The Wedding Singer, granted, some changes are going to be made. But you know basically what the story's going to be. So you're not really going into it blindly. Like, I wonder what's going to happen. <laughs> but... Remember when they made Hairspray into a play? John Waters has a film called Hairspray. And that got adapted into a play. And John Waters' Hairspray is a cult classic. And then it got adapted into a play. And that became really successful. And it crossed over into having mainstream success. Definitely people who are not familiar with John Waters' body of work uh, liking this play. So popular that they made a movie, I think, based on the play. Like, is the second Hairspray considered a remake of the first Hairspray? Or is it considered an adaptation of the play? Because if... <laughs> and I don't think this is going to happen. This is just for the sake of the conversation. What if the scenario was that the Wedding Singer play was so popular that it uh, inspired an adaptation of the play into a film. And that would really confuse people because you'd say, hey, they're making a, a new version of The Wedding Singer. And people would go, really? They're remaking an Adam Sandler film? That seems so weird. They're like, no, 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 no. It's not a remake, per se, of the original Adam Sandler film. It's a, it's a new adaptation of the play, which is actually an adaptation of the Adam Sandler film. Hmm. Stranger things have happened. <laughs> Ooh, Stranger Things. I worked that there. I worked that in there on accident. Stranger Things, another film, excuse me, another TV show that's based in the 80s. You know Rosie? Rosie is a character that Robbie is teaching how to sing so that she can perform at her 50th anniversary. She's played by an actress named Ellen Albertini Dow. When I say played by, actually played like in past tense, she's passed away. She died at the age of 101 years old. And there's a scene in The Wedding Singer where they show her 50th anniversary. And she sings the song that Robbie taught her. And then afterwards, like, you know, as a joke... The next, the next scene they show before they cut is uh, Rosie starts performing Rapper's Delight. <laughs> now, that means that, you know, if you do the math, uh, and I did, I did the math, that if, uh, that Rosie was around 85 years old when she was in The Wedding Singer. And, I mean, I cannot think of any... Anyone that age or even near that age that could perform Rapper's Delight or, or any rap. Like, 
Think of the oldest person you know, and think of them rapping. <laughs> like if you gave them uh, lyrics to a song and played them the song and then allowed them to listen to it as many times as they needed to listen to it to get the rhythm down and go, okay, now rap it. <laughs> rap this song, 85-year-old person. Could your grandpa do it? Could your grandma do it? I don't, you know, if you have any friends or relatives that's a senior citizen, it doesn't even have to be someone who's 85. They could be 75. I still think it'd be hard. I think it'd be hard for even anyone younger. I mean, really, just like, it's one thing to sing, but it's another thing to rap. Because unless you get that rhythm down, and, and, and for me, I think it's people just have that gift. You just have it in you to just do it without being able to make mistakes. But for the rest of us who don't have that gift and you have to actually concentrate and you're really thinking, oh, what's the next word? I don't want to mess this up. But you're also kind of like delivering the lyrics without missing the beat. It's hard because you make one mistake. It just throws off the whole song, let alone being 85 years old. <laughs> so if you know someone who's 85 years old who can rap, film them. <laughs> Put it on Twitter. I mean, on the one hand, you could tag me. I'd love to see it. On the other hand, you could just put it on Twitter and it'll go viral probably, right? Because that's what people want to see. They want to see old people rapping. <laughs> um, you know, I find this interesting. Uh, I find it interesting that this movie came out in the year 1998. And it takes place in the year 1985. And the reason why I find that interesting is because when this movie came out, it's not like the 80s was a million years ago. Can I put this into... Um, uh, okay, now, this podcast recording was released in the year 2020. That's like... I made a movie in the year 2020 that took place in the year 2007. That's what it's like. That's what The Wedding Singer is like. But it, it, it didn't seem as weird at the time. Like I remember in 1998 when I found out that a movie was coming out that took place in the 80s, it already felt like... The 80s already felt like a million years ago. It felt like the past. And I think it's because everything about the 80s, the aesthetic of the 80s was so exclusive to its time that by the time the late 90s rolled around, it was so incredibly different that the 80s did feel like, like some kind of period piece. Now, how is 2007 different from 2020? I mean, you could, you could use examples. You could say, well, in 2007, we had flip phones. And now we have smartphones. And if I made a movie that took place in the year 2007, people would be like, ooh, that's like the past. It's like caveman days. Look at those flip phones. <laughs> I remember when this movie was coming out, I told my friend about it because I'd heard. This is before they even like put out a trailer. I heard about the plot and I remember explaining to my friend, you know, there's this movie coming out where Adam Sandler plays a wedding singer 
and it takes place in the 80s, and it's called The Wedding Singer. And my friend was like, you're making that up. <laughs> like, like, if I was going to make up a plot of a movie, I couldn't come up with something better than that. But what was it about that concept that seemed so weird? And I've had that experience a lot in my life, where I've been attracted to wanting to see movies that when I describe the plots to people, I get that reaction. You're making that up. But of all the times that have hap- that has happened, and it has happened a handful of times, the wedding singer doesn't seem like that would inspire that response. But, I mean, maybe that's just because at the time, the wedding singer was new and it hadn't been in our lives for the last, you know, over 20 years. Because now... We're just all used to it. Well, if they ever remake a movie that Adam Sandler made, I guess <laughs> The Wedding Singer would be it. However, and, and I think I think my whole thing with the, the play that I touched upon earlier, I think that would be the circumstances. Because really, I'm certain that Adam Sandler's filmography is safe. I think when you make movies that are so specifically unique to your brand of humor that someone attempting to retell the story minus that humor, it just wouldn't work. Because then you just have the story. But the humor is what makes the film so memorable. Because that's the, that's the brand, that's the stamp of approval for the fans of Adam Sandler, is you, you, you experience that story with that specific type of strange humor sprinkled all over it. So you take it away and it's just the story and no one's ever going to do that. <laughs> Which makes me wonder what that plays like. Like, does, has anyone out there, out there in a Twitterland seen the Wedding Singer play? Does the guy act like Adam Sandler? Or does he just, like, portray the character uh, Sandlerless? I'm telling you, that's the part I was born to play. Because I, I do a pretty terrific Adam Sandler impression, and I even kind of sort of look like Adam Sandler. So, uh, maybe I should do the Wedding Singer play in my, in my hometown. <laughs> Would you come see it? I think you would. Okay. Gosh. <laughs> I bet you didn't think I was going to be talking about the wedding singer this week. You got to talk about something. Who knows what I'll be talking about next week. Well, regardless, I, I, <laughs> I appreciate you spending time with your old haunted pal. If you haven't already, please follow me on Twitter at IsaacSauntedB. Subscribe to my YouTube channel, which is also called Isaac's Haunted Beard. And keep an eye out for my next podcast episode, which you will listen to. Because I have a microphone and you don't. So you will listen to every damn word I have to say. See, I didn't want to actually yell that because I didn't want to peek the mics. (laughs) Thank you. Until next time. Aloha.